Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Hello and welcome back to the All In for Citrus podcast. I'm your host, Abby Taylor, and I'm so excited to start another year of the podcast. Southeast Agnet began our partnership with UF IFAS to do this podcast in September 2018, and we're so excited to go into another year of delivering the latest citrus research to growers. With that said, let's get started. This month, we've got a pretty packed program. We'll hear from Tripti Vashtith, citrus horticulturalist at the Citrus Research and Education Center, as she talks about a new nutrition starter kit. Then I caught up with Southwest Florida Research and Education Center Director Kelly Morgan about new grad student housing that has broken ground in Immokalee. And finally, I talked to Fred Gemitter, a UF citrus breeder, about some advancements in citrus breeding. But first, let's switch over to Ernie Neff, who is speaking with Citrus Research and Education Center Director Michael Rogers. Ernie, over to you. Hi, I'm Ernie Neff. I'm with Michael Rogers, Director of the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alfred. Good afternoon, Michael. Uh, Good afternoon, Ernie. Michael, you wanted to talk a little about an update of the Citrus Production Guide. Uh, Yes, Ernie. Uh, Every year we come out with a new version, updated version of the Florida Citrus Production Guide. And this was, uh, the print version came out earlier this year. And now we have, I'm glad to announce, we have the um, guide also online on EDIS now. Many of our growers like to access information, not just a hard copy, but also electronically, whether you're um, in the truck traveling or in the field. So we do have the Citrus Production Guide online now in EDIS, and growers who are interested in in, uh, downloading the guide or looking at the guide online, um, you can do a Google search for EDIS, E-D-I-S, and search for Citrus Production Guide. You can also find it on the Citrus Research website uh, that we've put up, which the web address is citrusresearch.ifas.ufl.edu. And if you scroll down on the web web page, you'll get a link for the Citrus Production Guide. All the chapters for 2019 through 2020 have been updated and are available online now. Quite a few growers picked it up at Citrus Expo this year, I believe. Yes, Ernie, it was a hot commodity this year at Expo. Um, we had a new format for the guide. Uh, we've made a number of changes to the hard copy um, version of the guide. One thing growers will notice when you first pick up the guide is it's a little heavier than it's been in years past. We've actually uh, increased the the size of the book a little bit, increased the font size so it's actually easier to read. If you're like me, the previous versions of the guide, you pick it up and you have to go get the reading glasses to look at some of those small the small font on some of those tables. So we've improved, we've increased font size. That that increased the number of pages. It's almost 100 pages thicker than it used to be. Um, so a lot of that has to do with the new format, uh, just trying to make it easier for growers to read. But we also do have uh, three new chapters in the production guide this year that help to increase the thickness of that guide just a little bit. And those three chapters, if you've not had a chance to look at that yet, uh, one of the chapters is on crop insurance policies that are available to citrus growers. Uh, there's a second chapter on useful websites and mobile apps. Uh, for those of you who are technologically inclined, if you like to... Uh, Um, look at the latest tools that are online or websites. We've got a listing of some of the ones that uh, we thought would be useful um, for growers to be aware of, both related to citrus and agriculture in general. And the third chapter is on planting new citrus groves in the era of citrus greening. 
And this is going to be a particularly useful chapter for growers if you're in the process right now of, of replanting a grove or in the planting stages, especially of replanting a new grove. Um, this chapter is written by Ariel Singerman, and it, it goes into the economics of new plantings and what you should be thinking about in terms of tree planting density. Uh, the traditional tree planting densities we used to use in Florida, as you'll see in the chapter, really don't make economic sense now in the presence of HLB. And so Ariel goes into what those new um, planting densities ought to look like in terms of what can be expected for a new planting to be economically viable in, in the present age of HLB. And, you know, driving around the state, we do see maybe not tons of them, but there are some new plantings popping up. I see some brand new trees uh, look like they're less than six months in the ground. Uh, any new information out of IFAS on what growers should be planting when they're, what varieties should they be planting when they do this? Yes, yeah, so we're, we're working really hard to get as much information out to growers so they to help them make the decisions on what they want to plant. Um, especially when you start talking about rootstocks, there's no one rootstock that's going to um, be the best choice across the state. There's differences in soil conditions, uh, you know, the local growing conditions. But but we have a lot of trials out throughout the state. Our citrus plant improvement team, I think, has up to maybe 60 trials uh, across the state, working mostly with citrus growers in their groves. And so one of the efforts we've been undergoing this past year, you've heard me talk about previously, is a website that we put together where we're taking all of the information, the trial data from the plant improvement team and putting it on the website. Previously, if you wanted to get information um, on what the latest information coming out of, of the plant improvement trials, uh, you would get that attending some of the presentations they've given, maybe get some handouts. But we didn't have a really good repository where growers could go online and just download the information. Um, and so that's what this whole website, the antenna that is, is a place for growers to go and, and get the, download the information and and have that, those field trial data handy to help make some decisions on what they want to choose to plant. So right now, um, we have just, in the past week, we've just updated the website again with uh, three additional uh, trial summaries that have been posted online. And this brings the total right now up to 15 trials that we have data, all the data posted online. And, and it takes a while for them to pull all this together because they're going through all the data they have for all these different trials standardizing it into a, a format that it's easy to follow and it's all consistent trial to trial. And as soon as they get each of those done, we're putting them online. And, and you'll find that they're very useful and a, a good summary of what's been done. Um, an example of one of the most recent trials that was posted online is a, a trial that was done in LaBelle. It was looking at the, the Scion Vernia. And they, they examined Vernia um, uh productivity and, and uh, yields on 76 different rootstocks um, at this location. And there's actually several locations around the state, several different trials where this is being done. Uh, but this one in LaBelle, this is, it's on the website. And they actually have four years of yield data um, presented in this particular trial summary. So it's, it's a really good opportunity to go and look and see where we've been able to generate multiple years of yield data. And I think growers will find that very useful as they uh, move forward with making decisions on planting because there are a lot of people around the state looking at replanting um, as, as, the, as the opportunity exists to get more trees in the ground. People are pursuing that. But again, if, if the website for the plant improvement team, if you go to citrusresearch.ifas.ufl.edu, and at the top of the page, there's a link for the plant improvement team. If you click on that, it'll take you to the web page where they have the 15 different trials listed and you can click on each of those and get a PDF summary of, of the whole entire trial and what's been done to date. You want to talk a little about 
citrus fruit displays coming up. Yes, and so uh, in addition to putting information on the website for growers to get information, um, it's great for growers to come out and not only in field, in field trials or field days to see these, these trials in the field, but also come into our citrus fruit displays that we have uh, during the fall and winter months to sample some of the fruit that's coming out of, out of our trials, um, even, even some of the earlier stage trials, as we make decisions on moving fruit forward um, for release of new varieties. And so the first of the, the citrus displays for the 2019-2020 year uh, is coming up October 15th in Lake Alfred at the CREC. And so we encourage growers um, who are interested in seeing some of the new varieties, some of the early season stuff, uh, to come on out to the to the CREC on October 15th and, and uh, bring your taste buds and get ready to sample some of what we've got in terms of early season varieties. Excellent. Michael Rumor has it that you're going to be hiring another plant breeder here at the CREC. Yes, Ernie, and we're excited to say that we are, and we're, uh, this is a, a, a position that is now being advertised. What we're doing is we're hiring a horticulturalist um, who's going to be working as part of the plant improvement team um, on the late-stage field evaluations of new rootstocks and scion varieties. Um, if you think back, this position really kind of fills a gap that's been present um, since the retirement of Bill Castle uh, many years ago. Uh, Dr. Castle did a lot of uh, large-scale field trial evaluations, particularly with rootstocks. He was best known for his work with the rootstocks. But, but since his retirement, we've not had someone dedicated just to doing those, those field trials um, at, at a much larger scale. And so this has been a big hole in the program, and you know, our IFAS administration has seen that this is something that's really needed, and they have, they have put forward the support to make this, um, to fill the, this critical gap in our citrus programs, because they do see us as something important for our industry as we move forward um, dealing with HLB. So as I mentioned, you know, the, the position is now advertised. We expect we're going to be interviewing the, the candidates for this position sometime this fall or early winter. And with the goal of just getting them on board as fast as possible and getting them up to speed and, and getting more work underway in the field. So um, when we do have those interviews that take place at the CREC this fall, um, pay attention. We'll be having some announcements that go out. And we really encourage growers to come in and, and you know, sit through the seminars that they give and um, ask them questions and, and give us feedback on the candidates that we interview because you know, these are these are faculty members. This will be a faculty member that's not just working with the faculty at the uh, CREC and IFAS, but they're going to be working with growers around the state. So uh, we value the input of growers. And I think some will come because rootstocks is a huge topic for growers now. They want to know what they can best grow those good scions on. Absolutely, there's a lot of work to be done. And uh, we're just excited to be able to fill the position and get someone new in here to, to help the industry at large. Excellent. Michael, thank you very much. All right, thank you, Ernie. Back to you, Abby. Thanks, Ernie. Now we'll hear my phone call with Tripti Vashtith on new nutrition starter kits. All right, I'm talking to Dr. Tripti Vashtith. She works at the CREC in Lake Alfred, and she's going to be talking about a new nutrition starter kit. So, Dr. Vashtith, UF IFAS announced at Citrus Expo back in August that y'all will be funding starter kits for nutrient sampling. So talk about that, kind of give an overview about what those kits are. Okay, thanks, Abby. So yes, we are. We have put a program together, and we are calling it a Citrus Nutrition Program, and it ha- includes a kit in it. And the whole thing, um, the reason why we are doing it is we have learned in past few years that Citrus Nutrition can improve the health and productivity of even HLB affected trees. 
Having said that, there is no one size that fits all. So fertilizer program needs to be customized or tailored to the requirement of a particular grove. That's why one program doesn't work. So in order to help the growers to customize the program uh, for their specific needs, and requirements. Uh, researchers from IFAS, from different RECs, and then our extension agents, uh, Citrus Multi-County Extension Agents, they have come together with this program. So this nutrition kit or this IFAS nutrition program will help growers in customizing a fertilizer program that is well suited for what well suited for their crops. Um, so within this kit, we are providing um, uh, instructions and um, instructions for soil and leaf sampling, as well as we are providing what they need to do for first year of their growth management. So we are asking growers that they choose a grove that is smaller than 20 acres in size of same rootstock and scion. And then we will walk them through how often, so sampling four times a year, for leaf nutrient analysis and sampling for soil once a year. And it will be done in a timely fashion. And then a team of researchers and extension agents will review their results and help them in customizing the fertilizer program. So like you said, this is part of a new effort by IFAS for a new uh, citrus nutrition management program. So you went over some of the goals that you guys have for this new program, but could you just dive a little deeper into, you know, why you guys came up with the idea for this program and its goals to help growers? Right. So um, like I said, we now have good amount of data that shows that nutrition, good nutrition, good health math, good fertilizer program, good irrigation program is helping HLD-affected trees. So it is possible to do that. However, the problem with the whole thing is that there is no one program that will work on every site. Each site is unique. Each uh, grove has its own characteristics like uh, different soil pH, soil type, organic matter could be different, scion rootstock. So there are a lot of different things that just... Um, affects the results that you can get from a fertilizer program. And that's why some people have figured it out in customizing. Some are still working, and we are we will be happy to work with our growers in customizing a fertilizer program that fits their need, the need of that particular grove. So with this program, we are helping with 20 acres of smaller grove, but the idea is that whatever our growers will learn from this program, they can take it further and do it on their other growths too. So this is just more like a demonstration that we're working with them to show that actually a good intensive management can work and the information that they learn can be applied to other other growths too. That sounds great. So finally, where and how can interested growers pick up these kits or learn more about the uh, nutrition management program? Yes. So we have uh, we have planned, and uh, the flyers will be going out shortly. We are organizing three events in the month of October. The events will be held. One event is at CREC on October 8th. There is another event in SWIFREC on October 29th. And then October 23rd is IREC. 
So the three places we will be distributing the boxes, we will be showing our growers how exactly this whole program is going to work. IFIS is helping them with the one one year of four leaf sampling and one soil sampling. So we will tell them exactly how to send their samples, where to send them, and uh, how we will be communicating the results and our recommendations to them. So there we will be giving all the information at these three events. I highly encourage our growers to come and attend whichever location is the closest to them. The information presented at each, all the three places will be identical. So they should not worry if they're missing out on something, it will be exactly the same. So whatever, whichever place is closest to them, please come and get your box. And we are looking forward to work with them. All right. Well, anything else to add in these last couple seconds that we have? I think it's a wonderful program that we have put together. Of course, I'm I'm one of the people who have put it, so I feel greatly about it. But I do think there is a lot of potential in this program to help uh, in understanding the nutritional demands of a tree and how should we address those. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us on our September podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Abby. Now let's go over to my phone call with Kelly Morgan on the new grad student housing in Immokalee. So for this month's interview with Dr. Morgan, you're going to be talking about the new grad student housing that has broken ground um, in Immokalee. So first off, you know, the new project has begun. You guys have broken ground on a new grad student housing building. So talk about those plans and the excitement that you have as the center director on this new addition to the center. Well, this new uh, facility will will increase our ability to to bring graduate students to the center and to do the much needed work uh, for our clientele. Uh, we currently only have uh, room for 15 uh, students on on the campus here at the research center. Uh, we are our foundation is leasing a house offsite for additional four students. Uh, this. This new dorm will, will be eight, and the foundation will no longer have to rent the house. So that will give us a net gain of four, uh, four rooms, uh, four potential students uh, for the faculty here. The faculty is doing a great job. They're recruiting a lot of good students. They're doing a lot of great work, and we just need to have the facilities here to support that. Awesome. So yeah, you talked about, um, you know, just creating the space for these new students. And that's kind of why these plans came about. But I know that you guys already had a building there um, that provided some rooms. So are you guys kind of receiving more interest from grad students that working in the center? Is that part of the reason why these plans came about? Or what were some other reasons? Well, the reason was uh, for the for the additional dorm was just uh, for space. We have one dorm that was built in 2000 after the hurricanes in 2004 and 5 uh, damaged some trailers that we had here on site. Uh, they were not usable anymore, so we, we built a dorm that, that housed eight students. We had an existing uh, small uh, building, actually two small buildings, one that held four, uh, could hold four students, one that could hold three. And so those were the, the only facilities we had for students here. Uh, so this additional eight bedrooms will increase our, our number of beds by 50%. So that's, that's going to be a tremendous, uh, tremendous increase and a tremendous uh, amount of space that the, the faculty can use to house people. 
Now, this space is not only used for faculty, for graduate students, but it's, it's also for uh, uh, temporary housing of postdocs and visiting scientists and things like that. Uh, that's just done on a temporary basis until they can find local housing. But this uh, graduate, uh, graduate residence will allow the students to stay here on campus. They don't have to compete uh, in the very limited rental market here in, in the Immokalee area. They're on, uh, they're on the site so they can get their work done uh, uh, and, and, you know, uh, get on with their, with their programs and, and earn their degrees. Great. So talk a little bit about the relationship between the center and the grad students or the postdoc um, researchers, people who are staying at these residences, um, and the important role that they play at the center and in turn to the citrus community. I feel like, you know, some growers, when they think of the Immokalee Center or really any center around the state, they're thinking of, you know, just the, the researchers who are the most visible. So talk about these people who are working under those researchers that are doing a lot of the work as well. Well, the faculty uh, for all our all the facilities within IFAS and and particularly in in Southwest Florida, it's the faculty that is seen as being the person doing the work. Well, you know the limited number of faculty we have can't do the 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 amount of work that that they would like and, and that they have committed themselves to in grant funding. So they have not only full time technicians that they pay but they bring on graduate students. And a lot of the work is done, a lot of the research work is done by these graduate students. They come in, they have a very specific part of a, a project that they are responsible for doing. Uh, they do that in addition to their classwork and they earn their degree. So it's a tremendous uh, partnership between the faculty and the students to get the work done that the clientele need. Awesome. Well, that's all I had for you, but anything else that you would like to add on this? I would just add that the uh, the local growers have been in, very instrumental in, in bringing about this uh, facility. Uh, the senior vice president, uh, Dr. Payne, uh, provided half of the funding for the, uh, for the residents. The uh, other half came from local growers, and we are very appreciative of them providing that, that funding. Great. Well, yeah, it sounds like a community really came together to make this happen for you guys. So we are really excited for that to be built. And thanks for joining us on this month's program. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Last but not least, we'll hear my phone call with Fred Gemitter as he tells us about some new citrus breeding advancements. I'm on the phone with Dr. Fred Gemitter, and he will be joining us on this month's program as well. And he is based at the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alfred. And he's going to be talking to us about a couple different things today. So first off, Dr. Gemitter, um, like you know, you and I have discussed before this call, there isn't really a new grapefruit variety, but you guys are working on some new methods to create new grapefruit varieties in the fight against HLB. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, as uh, as we've experienced HLB in Florida, we, we've come to learn that grapefruit actually is one of the most sensitive of all the citrus varieties to this disease. Um, and if you look at the grapefruit industry in Florida on a percentage loss, uh, percentage crop loss, grapefruit has by far taken the greatest hit. Um, so there's a huge interest, in, particularly in the Indian River region, where they have historically grown the best grapefruit in the world, to find replacements so they can uh, meet the market demand for this 
special citrus fruit. Um, and so what we have done as plant breeders, as citrus breeders, is to look at the parents of grapefruit. We know from genomic studies that grapefruit actually originated as a cross between some pomelo and some sweet orange. So we have a sense of how we might go about recreating the grapefruit, if you will. Pomelo is a citrus maxima is the name of the species. It's a very diverse species. And there are some pomelo types that are extremely sensitive to HLB, and there are others uh, that are actually very tolerant of the disease. And so we've gone through our breeding uh, collection, our potential parents, and have been selecting those pomelos that are very, very tolerant of this disease and making crosses with different kinds of, of pollen parents, some of them oranges, some of them something else. Uh, to recreate, if you will, what it is that is the grapefruit, and not only just recreate something that has the fruit that's very similar to grapefruit, which of course is essential, but to recreate trees that incorporate the high level of tolerance that we find in some of the pomelo parents. The other challenge with grapefruit is citrus canker, and uh, we likewise, as we're looking at our breeding parents and making selections as to which ones to use, not only are we keeping our eye on HLB, but we're keeping our eye on the canker resistance of these pomelos as well. And we've selected several parents that incorporate both uh, resistance. So we've made crosses over the past several years, and in the last two years, we've selected a number of new types that produce fruit very similar to grapefruit, but the trees are, are retaining that quality of, of resistance to HLB and, and tolerance of canker. So that's where we are. We ought to have something moving forward in the next year or two in trying to get out some more advanced trials of these materials and really test them. But I'm, I'm optimistic that before very long, we will have something for the grapefruit growers and the grapefruit consumers that will work. Perfect. Yeah, sounds like you guys are really hard at work to give them a new variety here. So while there isn't a new variety for grapefruit quite yet, but it will be coming soon, you did mention that there is a variety that is pretty new in Mandarin. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? That's right. Uh, we have a variety, a Mandarin variety, a seedless, easy-to-peel uh, Mandarin that we call Marathon. And we call it marathon because we have seen in some past years that it can mature as early as August, although that's not common, but occasionally we've had it mature in August and it has the ability to hang on the tree all the way into December, late December, and to be in good condition that whole time. Um, so that's you know, compared to other mandarins in Florida, which have a, a three to four to five week window, uh, that's that's something rare and unique. And, you know, the long run, the marathon, that's why we got the name for it. Awesome. So is that variety commercially available to growers yet or? The situation right now is that we have budwood in several nurseries that are licensed to produce um, the new variety. and they have held off taking orders until right about this time now uh, because they wanted to make sure that they had an adequate supply of budwood before they started taking orders for trees to be planted. So that's 
an opportunity that our fresh fruit growers who, who like to produce mandarins, that's an opportunity that they have right now that they can uh, contact the licensed nurseries and put in orders for some trees to uh, see what they think of it. Um, like many of our fresh fruit varieties, Marathon was released as what we call a fast track release. So there's not 25 years of experience with the new variety. There's, there's obviously some, some risk to growers uh, in planting something unknown. But uh, many of the fresh growers over the years have um, actually pushed us to release some of these things more rapidly so they can get them into their hands. Uh, because there's not a whole lot of time to wait. If we wait 20 years, uh, you know, things can change an awful lot in 20 years. So we're pretty excited about it because it's, it is a good quality mandarin. As I said, seedless, easy to peel. Uh, most people who eat it think it's a, a very excellent piece of fruit to eat. It has the advantage of um, being firm. Uh, so uh, the advantage of being held on the tree a long time, it also in some preliminary tests seems to have very good shelf life, uh, one of the best that we've seen. So from the perspective of, of fruit moving into the marketplace and being shipped on trucks to the local supermarkets and so on, um, we, we think we have something that's pretty special here. Um, one other attribute that seems to be unique about it, you know, many of the seedless, easy to peel mandarins have to be harvested from the tree by clipping uh, rather than just snapping by hand. And that's that's a pretty expensive, a labor intensive process. This variety being as firm as it is, it appears that we can harvest it without the need for clipping. So this will also uh, save substantial labor costs for the, the producers. Great. So obviously some great things coming out of citrus breeding. So we are excited to see some more developments. And that is all the time we have this time. But thank you so much, Dr. Gabinner, for joining us on this month's program. Thanks for the opportunity to join you on the program. Have a good one. Okay, that's a wrap for September's All In for Citrus podcast. Thank you to all the researchers who participated in this month's program. And as always, thanks to Ernie Neff. Again, I'm Abby Taylor. Be sure to tune in next month for all new updates on UF IFAS Citrus Research. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.